This is the Microsoft Libraries and Museums podcast, a show dedicated to exploring digital transformation with organizations from around the world. I'm Emily Kotecki. In each episode for season two, we are doing a deep dive into different aspects of digital transformation. And today, we're going to dive in to Minecraft and gaming with Minecraft map maker, producer, and consultant Adam Clark. Adam is based in Cumbria, England, and you might know him through his work with Tate Britain, where he recreated works of art in Minecraft. We will hear about that project in just a few minutes. But first, Adam, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for, you know, inviting me. It's brilliant to be here. <laughs> now, Adam, many people might know you from your work with Tate Britain and many other institutions, but for mm. listeners who aren't as familiar with Minecraft, can you give a brief description of what it is? Yeah, and it's and it, and it gets complicated quickly. But anyway, so Minecraft is a video game. It's a video game about blocks, about placing and breaking blocks. It's a unique video game in many ways because it hasn't really got a story. Okay, there's no overarching narrative structure within Minecraft. Minecraft is an open-ended gameplay kind of space. So it, it creates randomly generated maps that are that have hills and snowy areas and animals and lots of different kind of things you can interact with, trees and stuff. You can go in there and you can break all that kind of stuff and you can rebuild it. But I think a lot of people have taken it as almost like a virtual playground, which is in many ways like Lego, where you can kind of, you've got the set there, but you can break this stuff down and you can build it up and you can create your own environments. And Minecraft visually is very simple. It's sort of a low resolution, blocky kind of pixelated game. So lots of people look at this from outside and they think, well, this is just so simple. But it's because of its simplicity um, is what makes it so attractive to young people, I think, as well. And I think young people um, have really taken it uh, to heart and find themselves in a, an authentic digital space where they can create stuff without anybody telling them what they can and can't do. What are some assumptions that museums and libraries might make about Minecraft as a tool for engaging with those audiences? I've been to a lot of museum talks and I do a lot of talks to museums and, and consult with them. And I think one of the kind of early kind of assumptions about Minecraft is that um, it can instantly engage an audience which, you, which a museum or a library might find difficult to engage with magically. And I think there's some authenticity that needs to be kind of engaged within, within the story of, of whatever organisation is kind of engaging with it. And also that its simplicity uh, makes it easy to create something very quickly. In actual fact, there's a lot of deeper conversations around narrative, audience, how we tell people about the story, you know, yeah, and I almost want to go a little deeper with each of these, right? Mm. The two kind of assumptions is that it can engage instantly. Yeah. So what would you say to debunk mm. that myth? You know, Minecraft isn't a field of dreams. So if you if you build it, they won't necessarily come. You've got to think about who your audience is, where they are, and how to reach them in a meaningful, authentic way. And Minecraft's got some advantages already built in. You know, it's Minecraft, it's a game, it's fun. It's, you know, it's got these kind of elements to it. But I think you need, uh, you need ways in to be able to kind of uh, create that. And how about that second assumption that you talked about, it's simplicity? Yeah, in, in many ways, Minecraft is a game engine in itself. So a lot of people come to me and they have assumptions about, 
our Minecraft is simple. We can kind of, you know, it's easy to kind of create, build, you know, whatever we like really quickly. You know, for a lot of years, I, I was, I would go into meetings and I would say, you can do anything you like with Minecraft. You've just got to think about the problem and think around it. So for example, we did um, the Great Fire of London with the, the Museum of London, and we literally burnt down London around us and you went on a kind of crazy adventure and, and we had horses and trucks and fire things and if you were to look at minecraft with a cold eye you would think how on earth could you do that and and part of my job i suppose is to have conversations and let people know what can be possible that was going to be leading right into my next question okay. let's talk about some of your projects i think to really give some concrete examples to people who are mm. listening to say i I think I'm starting to get it. What's been maybe one of your most successful uses of Minecraft in a museum or library? And then how did you gauge its success? There's two ones I can talk about here, which is the, the first big major one, which kind of was the break. The one that allowed, I think, museums to allow themselves to be able to kind of go down this road, which was Tate Britain. Uh, kind of engaging with uh, and asking me to kind of create artworks that you can walk into inside of Minecraft. So it was almost like art history. So we would look at Tate Britain's collection and we would pick out paintings from that actual their actual collection and then we'd use those paintings as inspiration to create Minecraft maps that a player could walk into and explore and start to understand why this painting is important. Why is it in the Tate in the first place? Tate is interesting because it's a it's a publicly funded uh, organization so there, they had certain rules about you know um it can be played in a browser i'm like no not really you've got to pay for it but i said look minecraft is so ubiquitous it's one of the most popular games on the planet but what we do have to think about is how we get it in front of people we spent a year at tate just planning just choosing the artworks getting permission from the artwork uh you know, whoever was looking after it. So, for example, we we wanted to do the Dalai Lama because uh, Dalai Lama. <laughs> Salvador to do Dali. <laughs> Salvador Dali. Yes, we wanted to do Salvador Dali. I bet and the Dalai Lama would be open to it. Dalai Lama would be up for I it. bet he'd be into it. <laughs> I've made the Dalai Lama in in Minecraft as well. Um, and so we we asked uh, the foundation, the Dalai uh, Dali Foundation, and they went no way. <laughs> they just didn't want. Uh, to be associated with video games. And I think that's, you know, there, there is pushback from a range of different organizations who, you know, wanted their, what they represent to be represented in ways that they feel comfortable with. And I think, you know, Minecraft was, didn't reach those expectations. And I said, this takes, this took a year of kind of backwards and forwards and kind of trying to pick these things out. And while we were picking, each one that came out, we started a plan. And I sat down over a kitchen table uh, with large sheets of paper and lots of crayons and, 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 and drew out these ideas about how we could kind of explode and explore these paintings in, in, a, in a way that Minecraft could do. My initial idea was to walk into a painting and almost turn the corner. So, you know, we, for an example, the Pool of London, which is a Fovis painting uh, of, of the Thames. So we start with that scene that you see in the painting, but then you can kind of go around the whole Pool of London. You kind of start to understand a little bit about it and a little bit about why, you know, why it was painted, who painted it and, and what Fovism is, you know, at the end of the day. And Tate, in their annual report, uh, the, the, a couple of years afterwards, said that this was one of their most successful projects. We wanted to target uh, young people aged kind of nine uh, to kind of 14, 16. Um, 
and there were a couple of ways of doing that. Obviously, we created maps that people could download and we can measure the amount of people that were downloading it. We also put it onto YouTube as well. So we allowed people to play our games and to video themselves playing our games on YouTube. And it was YouTube that kind of really broke uh, all the numbers. So we had over like mm. over a million people watched other people play these Minecraft maps. Oh, my question with that project, with these maps that you were creating and you were allowing mm. people to download, were these maps, min I wrote down the word, were they manipulatable, if that makes sense? Like, could yeah. other Minecraft users come in and say, I see this painting of the boat on the Thames, on the Thames? Great. It's a great question. So let's talk about what Minecraft is and how we can kind of make, and again, probably another assumption that, I, again, I take for granted a lot of this stuff. So... We mentioned before, like Minecraft is a video game that you can kind of just play and you can kind of break break blocks and create blocks. But early on in Minecraft's history, you had content creators creating adventure maps. And there are three different ways to play Minecraft there. You can play it on survival, which is, you know, you get hungry, you can be killed by monsters and, uh, and you kind of have to feed yourself and you kind of have to find resources and stuff like that. There is creative mode where you have everything. If all the blocks available to you, you can kind of build to your heart's content. You can kind of just go for it. And then there's a third mode that got brought into Minecraft quite early on, but which was called adventure mode. And adventure mode limits the player's ability to break anything in the game and really gives content creators some a, a range of tools to guide a player through a built experience that you build as a content creator. So this is where Minecraft turns into a game engine and we can kind of create experiences in a three-dimensional, quite simplistic kind of space and start to tell stories within Minecraft as well. So the story for the tape on the, on the Pool of London is that you meet Andre Deran, the artist at the Pool of London. And he says, oh my goodness, I've lost all my paints. You're going to have to go and find them for me. They're hidden around London and that's your quest. So you start going on a quest to find Andre Deran's paints and he calls them pigments and so we start to also learn about um the technical language of the from the artist and learn about fauvism because he's talking about his pigments being very bright colors and and he explains what fauvism is and so we start through those series of quests to learn about uh the locality to learn about the time period as well and the history of the painting and by the end of the, all these quests you can embed joy and playfulness within these things and it can be great fun. So what are some like lessons from here in gaming that you feel like museums could learn and libraries could learn in how they engage audiences? Any kind of game has always got some sort of story. And I think one of the kind of things I value about museums and libraries is that they are the sources of these stories. They're sitting on these collections of really beautiful source material. Um, and I think something like Minecraft is a great tool for inspiring others to get involved in that material and in hopefully inspire people to come and visit and to check out more stuff. And Minecraft is one of those games which is all about really user-generated content. So it invites people naturally to come and engage with other things. And I think everybody needs their cup filling and museums and libraries are there to fill cups. So people are listening, they're like, okay, I want to do that. I want, I want to create some kind of Minecraft map for my library museum to explore the rare collections in my library to do this, this, and this. What are some really important things to consider when creating this type of content? 
Yeah. How do projects start in a way? Uh, and they often start with a kind of another an idea. So we kind of maybe it's about we have a collection that we're interested in promoting or we kind of think about that. And there might be a story in there somewhere. That's where you probably got to to start with. And then if you think, well, we're going to use Minecraft. This is the this is the time to ask why? Why engage with a video game? Uh, and who is it for? So the why is about why would it be useful to do this? So it's about who is it for as well? that who and why are kind of super mixed together and i think a lot of my conversations with the museums are, are really unpack those kind of ideas yeah what are some of the biggest pitfalls in creating this type of content and how do you advise people who are now interested or in the process of creating gaming uh, experiences to avoid <laughs> there's so many <laughs> but don't be afraid to spend a long time planning Okay. Um, the more you plan something, the less time it takes to do it at the other end. The other industry that's very similar is animation or film. So with animation, you pretty much planned out the entire thing before you, before you start drawing the pictures, because it's so expensive to draw those pictures that you don't want to really spend time not drawing things that you might, you know, I'll, I'll cut that out. <laughs> it's like, I've spent six weeks doing this. <laughs> what do you mean you're going to cut it out? So planning really helps. And also the support of the entire team within an organization. So everybody knows what you're going to be doing and everybody can come on board. Because what you might have uh, is you might have people who think, oh, it's just a video game and not to be as supportive as they could be. But if they were, then that everything helps put it in front of the audience. If you are a museum, and you are kind of doing this stuff, then you can be proud of the fact that you're creating high quality content that changes how young people will be seeing this kind of content in the future. One of my final questions, and then I actually have a lightning round of questions for oh, you um, coming up next, but how do you feel like gaming or Minecraft supports mm. that goal of digital transformation within libraries and museums? Minecraft can create an authentic digital experience that young people respect, instantly respect if it's done well and can get on board with. And it's putting the museum in a, in a different light in front of young people so they can start to see it for what it really is, which is these great sources of material. Digital allows also three things to happen it allows you to have a local audience so you can kind of bring people on board locally and we can all get some computers and we can all we can kind of see an audio visual thing and it's kind of like wow but we can also be playful simultaneously with the same content at a national level so you can kind of maybe you can even have it going out to schools and then you can have this international kind of thing we kind of open this you open these ideas up to this massive international audience and people from all over the world can engage with this kind of content at the same time. Remember, the source material of the content is the museum or library's content, not Minecraft. Minecraft is the encapsulating engine that delivers it, but it's really the heart of it is, is what makes it. And that's a, that's a collaboration with the museum and library. Uh, so I think that's how it can transform things because it, it enables people to put their ideas out there uh, to, to brand new audiences really, really quickly uh, and in very dynamic and interesting, interactive ways. And it seems to like, to that point, really meet the audience where they are 
Yes. Instead of just asking them or expecting them to come into your building or find your online resource, it's saying, mm. we'll come to you. Let's, let's explore where you're at. Yeah. And it's very different from creating an app as well. Sometimes people equate this to an app and it's like you put an app out there and then people engage with that. This is different. It's, and I often say this, where do people play Minecraft? People play Minecraft in their bedrooms, in their living rooms, in, in easy spaces at home. So this is my lightning round. And these okay. might be the toughest questions yet because as listeners on this show and myself as a parent of someone who plays Minecraft, I have questions from my son, my nephew mm. and my son's best friend, all seven-year-old um, boys who love to play Minecraft. And they have come up with each a question each for you, Adam. So okay. are you ready for this lightning round hope, from the seven-year-old Minecraft whizzes in our lives? Yes. Um, the first one is from Mason. Do you know any cool tricks that most people don't know about? I do. Um, and it's interesting. At the moment, I'm doing some workshops with some young people. I, I was sort of showing people how to do some redstone things and also how to change the lights on some beams of light that come up uh, on beacons. So we were kind of showing that off. But then the young people also showed me that stuff that I'd never heard of as well. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about Minecraft is that even now, you know, nearly 10 years down the line, I'm still learning stuff about it. My next question comes from Noah. How do you figure out what map you want to make? So I come from an art and design background. And so I've always been, I was like drawing and painting and sketching. And I've got hundreds of sketchbooks filled with ideas all the time. And so for example, I I'm recently made a, a giant human head. It was like half a head with a brain and you can kind of almost go around the brain and stuff. And all that started off as a sketch in a sketchbook. And I thought, I wonder if I could make, and I wonder if is the question that you ask. I wonder if I can make that in Minecraft. And I, so I did. <laughs> Last question from our seven-year-old um, audience here from Max. What block did you use in the Minecraft artworks? And I feel like you should explain that there is not just one type of block no. in Minecraft. When Minecraft first started, uh, there were three blocks. There was bedrock, dirt and grass so bedrock is kind of a, a dark black kind of color dirt is brown and and grass is like a bit bit brown and a bit green on top and then from there we've got hundreds of blocks now and and every year there are new blocks coming out and, and things like that so and one of the kind of cool things about minecraft is you can if you want retexture all those blocks in minecraft I often literally, like an artist, would get a piece of board and squirt your paints out on a board. And so you can kind of start mixing them. The very first thing that I do when I start building something is I look in my palette of all the blocks and I might think, I don't want some greens and I need some oranges. So I'll get all those greens and oranges. So you can see blocks as color palettes and also as, as materials that are that represent those kind of things at the same time. So for an artist like me, it's a joy. Well, Adam Clark, Minecraft map maker, producer, and consultant, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. At the end of every episode, we hear from Catherine Devine, Global Business Strategy Leader for Libraries and Museums at Microsoft. Catherine, what are you taking away from today's interview? Well, thanks, Emily. Who knew that the seven-year-olds in uh, Emily's life was so interested in Minecraft? But I think that this really speaks to the importance of understanding that we need to meet people where they are. And uh, if we want to attract younger people to our museums and libraries, 
this is where they are. Uh, you may not be there, but that does not mean that they aren't. And clearly, as you can gauge by the questions from the seven-year-olds in Emily's life, um, they're, they're very excited about this. I equate this to when I was younger. And uh, when I was a child, my mother was a teacher and uh, she really emphasized Lego. I think Lego has since had quite the renaissance, but this idea of you know creating um, creative play, and I'm not an expert in education, but she, she felt very strongly about that. And I feel like Minecraft is the equivalent of that in today's world. So Adam is quite the celebrity in, you know, the Minecraft space. And uh, we really appreciate his insights here and the work that he's done in the museums and libraries world. Um, you may know that uh, Minecraft is actually owned by Microsoft, or you may not know that actually. Um, this is not about being a Microsoft product here. It's, it's very active in education. And um, we have scenarios all the time where even now, you know, later this year, you'll see something coming out from Adam uh, that was initiated by a Danish Microsoft education team uh, for a museum in, in Denmark. And I uh, can't share too many details now, but, you know, we're very excited about what he's doing there. And there are lots and lots of other sort of environments being created here in the museum and libraries world. This was a great interview, as they all are, Emily. And um, I hope people see Minecraft as something that is um, maybe an unexpected channel. Than, uh, than the normal ones, but specifically to meet a specific audience where they are. Thanks. Thank you, Catherine. And thank you again to Adam Clark and to all of our listeners. A new episode of the Microsoft Libraries and Museums podcast will be released every Monday and can be found wherever you listen to your podcasts. And just as a reminder, we include a link to the full interview transcript in each show description. Until next time, I'm Emily Kotecki. Thanks for listening.